Okay, so let's get the mood going here. Imagine it. The coffee machine is bubbling and gurgling away in the corner. A fire is crackling in the hearth. Does anyone else find that they're occasionally having to find a blanket in the evenings? No? Just me? The smell of musty paper and the subtle sweetness of vanilla is in the air, and you're gathered with some of your closest book friends to talk about your latest find. I'm Ray, and welcome to another episode of Not Before Coffee, The Bookshop, where I talk about my most recent reads and possibly encourage you to pick up a copy. Last week I was looking at a brand new book that was Lightness and Love and Life. This week I have moved in the completely opposite direction. You may be wondering how I have done that because I have been really quiet about my plans on social and there was a reason for that. I was doubtful if I was going to be able to actually pull this off. I am going to start with a story about my early reading career or at least my reading tastes between the ages of 11 and 15. I was going through a morbid period in my life, admittedly. My dad had just died, I was being bullied really badly at school, and though I also found a book that remains one of my favourites to this very day, I also discovered Stephen King. I'm going to admit something here. My mum became rather lax for a few years in controlling what we watched, though we were still not allowed to watch TV immediately after school, or watch Grange Hill. Yeah, makes so much sense which, when you consider what we were allowed to watch, is pretty ridiculous. Every single Thursday, a video van visited our street, and every week my mum would give us £3 and tell us to rent enough films to last us to the next week. Video van rentals were relatively reasonable in price, so we were usually able to get three, sometimes four if we picked from the right shelves. Much better pricing than blockbusters, and that's for sure. Anyway, one particular week I spied at the very back of the store a case that was covered with images of flickering flames and I knew that I had to watch that film. For weeks afterwards I fantasised about what it would be like to be able to boil water with a single glance or destroy my enemies without thinking, especially the bullies at school. I'm thinking of you, Ms White. And then I picked up the book at the local library. Some of you may have already guessed the book I'm going to be talking about this week, but if you haven't, it was written by Stephen King, and this year it actually turned 41, having been released in 1980. Yes, I'm going to be talking about Firestarter. The Department of Scientific Intelligence, aka The Shop, never anticipated that two participants in their research program would marry and have a child. Charlie McGee inherited pyrokinetic powers from her parents, who had been given a low-grade hallucinogen called Lot 6 while at college. Now the government is trying to capture young Charlie and harness her powerful fire-starting skills as a weapon. Though I have read the book before, it's been about 35 years, and I remembered more from the film than I did from the book itself. However, it all did start flooding back when I started to read it again. When I read this as a child, there were a lot of things that floated right past me, as they do. Certain words and phrases seemed funny because my brain was not quite developed. Events and characters' thoughts were not as impactful as they probably should have been. 
But reading this as an adult, those same things were disturbing. The first thing that struck me this time around was the fact that King likes to write about children. It, Cujo, Silver Bullet, Pet Cemetery, The Body, Carrie, and of course Firestarter. The central characters in all of these are children or teenagers, and in some ways that is the biggest horror element in these books. I know that quite often people say that this is a product of its time, and in the case of this particular book that is incredibly true. Firestarter is full of references that make modern day me wince and cringe in discomfort. It's full of insulting stereotypes, misogyny, racism, and incredibly disturbing fantasies focused on grooming, then slowly murdering a child. The fact that the main character is a young girl may disarm you, but for me, that's part of the horror of this particular novel. Charlie McGee is just seven years old when her entire life is turned upside down. Of course, she's been aware for her whole life that she's different. She can start fires with a simple, barely formed thought. As a baby, she would cause fires when she wasn't getting what she needed, whether that was comfort or a bottle or nappy change. As a toddler, anything that hurt her was destroyed in a ball of flame. And when she's forced to go on the run with her father, Andy, she is desperate only to protect him and herself from the shadow organisation, The Shop, that is determined to kill her father and imprison her in order to force her to do whatever their bidding may be. The thing is, Charlie and her dad are actually good people that have had bad things happen to them, and that badness follows them everywhere. When Andy was at university, he participated in a drug trial, during which time he also met Vicky, a woman he fell in love with. Afterwards, Vicky and Andy got married. They were aware that whatever was in the trial had changed them, though they didn't realise the extent to which they had been changed. The trial that Andy and Vicky participated in for the grand sum of $200 each was for a treatment called Lot 6, and the changes it wrought on them are many. Some of the people on the trial went mad, many committed suicide, but Vicky and Andy got married and had Charlie. Charlie is the product of two parents who have experienced changes on the genetic level, and both of them developed powers. The shop is so keen to get their hands on Charlie and her unique genetic code that they will do absolutely anything. They torture and murder Vicky, kidnap Charlie and shoot an innocent man who is just trying to help the family escape from this organisation. For nearly a year after Charlie's full strength abilities are revealed in a showdown at the farm of Irv and Norma Manders, Charlie and Andy are left in peace. But nothing is ever what it seems because an obsessive assassin, John Rainbird, has been put on their trail. After a few months of living almost innocently in the middle of nowhere, Charlie and Andy's idyll is over. The funny thing is, it's that the shop has known where they were for a while, but it's as though they wanted to lull them into this false sense of security. The McGees are both captured and Charlie is separated from her father. Way to go there, how to traumatise a child. Rainberg gets part of his wish, he is able to earn Charlie's trust in a move that today we'd probably likely refer to as grooming. He pretends to be her friend to convince her to use her powers in order to improve them. And all the while, Charlie's powers are growing and they believe they have her under their control. Andy is miserable, gaining weight and living in a permanent drunken haze. 
But this is all part of a long-term plan. And that's possibly... <laughs> there has to be a showdown because without it, there would be no stunning climax to the book. But are the people at the shop going to be the authors of their own demise? I mentioned earlier that there were things I had issues with, and I'm going to look at them now in no order whatsoever because that's how I roll. <laughs> and also, these are just conscious thoughts being written down quickly. Rainbird is the character I had the biggest issues with, not for any other reason than out of all of the characters in Firestarter, he was the one who, to me, felt most disturbed and most disturbing. He thought about these things and then found himself wondering what it would be like to kill a child. Perhaps with a child the result would be different. There might be another expression in the eyes at the end. He might discover a part of what he needed to know in the death of a child. A child like this Charlene McGee. Rainbird grows obsessed with finding and gaining possession of Charlie. He wants to befriend her, gain her trust and then kill her. Not disturbing at all, right? Women are another thing that I had an issue with in the book. For starters, there aren't that many of them, but those that are are not referred to with any sort of respect. The words used to talk about them are insulting, and because I want to maintain my non-explicit rating here, I am simply going to say that there is a lot of shaming going on. More than once, the agents for the shop refer to women who won't pay them attention or listen to them in a derogatory manner because they deny them what they want. When Andy first realises that he has developed powers, he meets an agent from the shop who has such a disgusting past that when I read it I felt sick. He murdered several people and then physically assaulted one post-death as revenge. Yes, necrophilia, if we want to be specific. Being honest here, Stephen King certainly understands horrors that aren't necessarily supernatural, if the characters in this book are anything to go by. Charlie is a bit of an odd duck. She's aware that she has these powers, and from a very young age, her parents both used the equivalent of Catholic guilt in order to ensure that she didn't use them. That's not an issue until Andy starts telling her to use them. This sort of conflict is enough to traumatise and confuse a child. In fact, it's enough to traumatise and confuse anyone. Don't do this, do this. But only when I tell you to do it. She's only a child. Andy McGee is a confusing one. His whole life was turned around because he needed money to get through university. He has power, but he suffers when he uses it, crippling migraines and agonising pain. So he has learned how to use it, what the levels of suffering will be. Everything he does is to protect his family, and he blames himself when he's unable to do it. But he's up against an organisation with unlimited resources, and they are very determined to get what they want. This is definitely a book that, if it were written today, would likely have been edited very differently. Though that said, I'm not sure, as this is Stephen King we're talking about, and he has always been a person to speak his mind. These characters aren't necessarily a reflection of him and his own thoughts, but the thoughts of the characters he's created and how he perceives they would speak and think and feel. Though the book was released in 1980, the story itself takes place in the years between 1969 and 1978. And though it's never going to be acceptable to be a racist, sexist pig, and here I'm referring to a combination of several characters, they are very much a reflection of the times. 
So here comes the question and answer part. Did I enjoy it? I think that I enjoyed the memory of the book far more than the rereading itself. There are some books I've reread that are much older than this and I've come away with a satisfied feeling, sure that I've read a good book knowing I enjoyed it and positive I will read it again. This book, well, it was disturbing. But then as a book in the horror category, I guess it was meant to be. This was a different type of horror. There were no rabid dogs or werewolves or scary creatures in the sewer. In Firestarter, the horror was the shadow organisation and the assassin who obsesses over slowly killing a child. Will I read it again? In all honesty, probably not. There is something about this particular type of horror that grows less appealing the older I get. The story is well told, though sometimes the skipping around in time, which I have mentioned previously is not my favourite tool in the writer's arsenal, gets quite tiring. This book actually starts in the middle of the story and we get glimpses of the past and the future. As I discovered a few times when I was reading it, if you lose concentration for a moment or more, there is a fair amount of rereading to be done. But my real reason for not picking it up again is likely going to be the story itself. There are far too many things in this book that are less horror and more true life now, especially the child obsession. Would I recommend it to other readers? Chances are, if you're a fan of Stephen King, you've probably already read this book. Firestarter was the eighth book by King to be published, though only the sixth to be published in his name. And it was nominated for several awards, deservedly so. I would never say avoid this, because I did enjoy it the first time I read it. I guess the lesson I have learned here is to not look so closely at a book, or at least remember when it was written. The more life experience you have, the more terrifying some situations will become, and this is a great example of that. So, there it is, Stephen King's 1980 novel, Firestarter. He's written a lot, and many of them are much stronger offerings than this one. It gave me nightmares for months. Misery is a work of genius. Insomnia is amazing, and his collections of short stories are brilliant. I'm sure that you've got a favourite out of those or one of the others that he has produced in the last four decades, if not longer. I just think that this will be the last go around for me of Firestarter. The last cup has gone in the dishwasher. The closed sign has been turned around. So it's time to end this, another episode of The Bookshop. I hope you enjoyed it and will come back again for more. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a review or a star rating over on Podchaser. I really do love reading what you have to say. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs or on Instagram at not before coffee podcast. Well, I have to go and pick up another book from the shelf for next week and settle down with what is only my third cup of coffee for the day. Until next time, this is me saying farewell. Well.